This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll get the laughs from George Burns and Gracie Allen. But first, a trip to the dark side for another story from the series Dark Fantasy. It was an American radio supernatural thriller anthology series. Had a short run of 31 episodes from 41 to 42. Its writer was Scott Bishop, also known for his work on The Mysterious Traveler. It originated from station WKY in Oklahoma City and was heard Friday nights on NBC stations. The stories found a nationwide audience almost immediately. Encounters with supernatural beings, mad scientists, and adventures in mythical places, just some of the themes featured on the program. Tom Paxton served as the announcer. Although a short series, the shows are excellent with some stories way ahead of their time. And the following is a news promo promoting the show. And I quote, Ever since Lights Out went out several years ago, fans of the fiendish have been clamoring for more good old goose pimple horror drama on the air. Well, now they have it. One of the programs that currently freezes the airwaves with its chilling stories is Dark Fantasy, comparatively new to the networks. In the late hours of Friday nights, these shivery, shocking stories quote over NBC right straight from Oklahoma City which you might not have thought of as headquarters for haunts. Station WKY is the home of the dark fantasy plays and the writer is Scott Bishop, who lives in the midst of mystery and the supernatural. And now the episode, The Outer Limit. Adventures in time and space. Transcribed in future tense. Dimension Can you predict what will come in 100 years, or in 10, or in the next minute? Some people think they can. Nuclear science, mathematicians, astronomers, biologists. They'll predict the shape of the future because they make the future. Because they see beyond the known dimensions of time and space into the unknown dimension X. We go ahead now in time to 1965. We're on a vast concrete runway set in the desert of the Southwest. A giant metal ship stands before us, prow pointed for the stars. And in five minutes, the signal will flash and it will tear up through the atmosphere to the outer limit. Five minutes, Steve. Right. Where up, Charlie? I want to go over procedure again, Steve. Don't worry, I got it straight. You just make sure. Okay. 
I take her up on jet to 50,000, then I cut in the rocket. No lower, or your tail blast will burn out three counties. I climb four minutes on rockets, then start maneuver tests. Remember that. No more than four minutes. Right. This ship isn't like those strata rockets you've been testing. She's the first one built for outer space. If she works, she can go clear to the moon. But I'd have known that, I'd have brought my toothbrush. No, not this trip. Now get this, Steve. You've got power there to clear the Earth's gravitational field. But remember, after you cut in the rockets, you've only got ten minutes fuel. If you go beyond the outer limit and don't save fuel for the return... I know, I won't get down again. That's right, Steve. You'll drift off into space. Get that now. Ten minutes fuel. Gotcha. As far as I'm concerned, this project is a lot more important than that cosmic ray bomb they're testing out in the Pacific tonight. The Security Commission brass doesn't think so. I don't see any undersecretaries under anything. Don't worry. In the long run, our ship will make the CR bomb back page stuff. But in the meantime, it's just as dangerous. Remember, half the principles in this ship are pure theory, Steve. Slide rule stuff. If anything goes wrong, we may have to scrape you off the landscape with a soup spoon. You have a charming sense of humor. And here's what I'm getting at. We're risking your neck in this test. If anything blows, we don't want to have the next man pull the same boner. I know, Hank. So keep your mic open and keep talking. If anything goes wrong, we want to know exactly why. And we won't be able to ask you. Let us know before you pull every switch. Before you do anything. You got that? Yeah. Even if you only have to blow your nose. All right, get those fuel lines away. Okay, Mr. Grove. Well, I guess that's about all, Steve. Yeah, that reminds me. Look, if Mary calls, I'm just up on a milk run. I didn't tell her today was it. How is she? She's okay, but she's due about now, and I don't want her to be nervous. Hey, I didn't know the baby was that close. Yeah? Steve, I, I really ought to be sending a single man on this job. Pardon? Cut me out of a soft paycheck? Forget it, Hank. You know, you can't get anybody else who can take 15 G's acceleration when those rockets cut in. Yeah, I know. It's time, Steve. Yeah. Well, see you later. Don't worry, Hank. I'll sweat for both of us. Button her up, Charlie. So long, Hank. So long. We'll give you the light from control. Okay, Steve. Got you on the speaker. I'm ready to go. Mr. Hanson. Ready on radar, Sergeant? Yes. Mr. Hanson, you better see this. What is it, Elsa? Message center for Steve. Mrs. Weston just left for the hospital. What? Hello, Steve. Yeah. Stand by a minute. Shall we hold the takeoff, Mr. Hanson? What? Oh, yes. Uh, no, wait, wait just a minute. It's uh, it's too late now. You going to tell him? Maybe he's got enough to worry about. Hey, what's holding us up, Hank? Something on your mind? No, no, it's, it's nothing, Steve. I just wanted to say good luck. Clear for takeoff, Charlie? Right. Okay, give him the light. All right, Steve, I'm reading you clear. That's 20,000. Airspeed 600. She's running fine. Soundproofing works.
you. Speed 4400, still climbing. Altitude, 297 miles. All right, you're at the outer limit. Level off for maneuver test. You've got exactly six minutes fuel left. Okay. Starting a three-degree left bank. A little sluggish. That's all right now. There's a low vibration someplace. Maybe the cockpit hatch. I'm straightening out. Five minutes fuel left. I'm starting a three-degree... Ru- hey! What's the matter? What's wrong? There's something up here. Something shining. What are you talking about? There's something above me, Hank. I'm going to chase it. Steve! Steve, you're at the outer limit now. I can see it plain now. Steve, don't go any higher. You've only got four minutes left.
done, the quicker you get over to see Mary and the baby. Thanks. Elsie, give the order to check and refuel the rockets. I don't want anybody in here till I get Steve's reports. Bury any calls. All right, let's have it. What the devil happened to you? Hank, does that cosmic ray bomb still go off tonight? What are you talking about? Straighten out, Steve. Where you been for the last ten hours? Listen, Hank. There's something more. I'm... Come on, come on. I've got to get a report on the screen to Washington, so let's have it. I've got to know how you stretch ten minutes fuel to keep you in the air for ten hours. Now, one thing before I talk. Look, Steve... have the Geiger men run over the ship before they refuel. What'd you run into? So help me, Hank. I don't know. We better check and make sure it isn't radioactive. Elsie, add a Geiger report on the standard check. Steve, maybe we better have the doc look you over, too. No, no, I'll be all right. They said I'd be all right. They? Look, son, I know you've had a tough time, but we've had this field on the alert for ten hours. One of the army boys cracked up looking for you, and he's hurt bad. So let's have the story. Let's have it straight. I don't know how to tell you. Hank, I saw something up there. At 300 miles? I chased something up there, Hank, and I caught it. Now, don't hand me that. Listen, I was cruising along. Just starting the right bank when I spotted something. It must have been going about half my speed. It was egg-shaped and smooth. I made a pass at it, and I was coming back for another, and then there was a humming sound. Humming? A sort of vibration. And I blacked out. I was headed straight for it at 4,400 miles an hour. I thought it was going to be the biggest smash since Hiroshima, and... I guess I was drinking that bottle. Never mind that, Steve. What happened? I came to inside their ship. Uh-huh. Steve, this whole thing has been a devil of a strain on you. I'm going to call Major Donaldson from the Army base. Ask him to sit in. A psychiatrist? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let him run his tests. He'll tell you I'm not kidding. Because, Hank, unless I miss my guess, I've just been tipped off to the way the world ends. <laughs> Mr. Weston, suppose you continue your story. Yes, let's have it, Steve. You woke up inside the ship? Yes, and uh, the place was jammed with machinery. Dials, blinkers. I couldn't recognize anything. And you were surrounded by these men from Mars? I didn't say anything about men from Mars. I didn't even say they were men. I couldn't see them clearly. They were just there. Where did they come from, then? Another galaxy. Millions of miles outside of our solar system. That's all I know. You figure out where they came from. And they came all that distance to find the Earth? Yes. Did they tell you that? Yes. You mean they spoke English to you? No, no, they didn't. It's funny. I hadn't thought. They didn't really speak to me at all. They just planted the thoughts in my mind. You mean thought transference, telepathy? Yes, that's right. Well, Steve, what brought them here? We did, Hank. We rang their bell. We brought them in. How? With our atomic explosions. Hank, that's why you've got to stop that bomb test tonight. I'll give up. Look, you've got to believe me, Hank. Oh, how can I make you understand? Maybe I can help, Mr. West. Would you submit to narco-psychometry? What's that? Under proper drugs, I can put you back in this, uh, ship. By suggestion. Then we can get a playback record of your memory pattern on the audio circuit. How long will that take? Half an hour. We'll have to go over to the lab. Will you believe me if it checks? It will give us an accurate memory picture of what your mind reports. All right, let's go. Hank, you gotta believe me, we haven't got much time. You should be getting drowsy now. Count backwards from ten. 
Attach the head plate electrode. Cortical pickup. Look out for that wire, Mr. Henson. Three old setting. 31.3. Now throw that switch, Mr. Henson. I have to start him off by suggestion. All right, Steve. You're in your ship now. You're in the rocket. Back. You're in the rocket. You're in the rocket, and you've just sighted something strange. Now I'm starting a three-degree right. What's that? Hey, there's something up here. Something shining. His memory pattern. We're picking it up electronically. There's something above me, Hank. I'm going to chase it. It's piped through the audio circuit. I'm getting static. I can't hear you, Hank. This is where we lost contact with him. I'm going to make a pass at it. And... Hey, it's swerving to meet me. It's not ahead now. It's not ahead. No one. This is where he blacked out. There's no telling how long, minutes or hours. What's that noise? I don't know, quiet. Where? How did I get in here? What? Who are you? Is he seeing things? Intergalactic patrol? What's that? What are they saying, Steve? What are they saying? It's about nuclear fission. They know about it. They know the danger of it. Long ago, they had wars that almost destroyed them. But finally, they learned. Now they've outlawed war. Go on, Steve. They patrol space. When their detector picks up an atomic explosion, they send a patrol. What are they going to do? They've quarantined us. Quarantined? They've isolated the Earth. Because we don't know how to control ourselves yet. And until we learn, we'll be a menace to the whole universe. What is this nonsense? How are they going to do it, Steve? They've spread a layer out here of... I don't know how to call it. All around the Earth. It's miles deep. When there's an atomic explosion on Earth, the radioactive particles will drift up to this layer and set off a chain reaction. It'll go around the world in microseconds. And that's the end. The end? What's he... Wait, wait. Yes. Yes. I understand. I've got to bring back the warning. You're going to put me back in my ship to bring the warning. Now what? Blacked out again. I guess that's all. What does all that mean? It's what he remembers. Don't think that really happened. No, no. Narcosychometry circuits produce what he remembers. It just means that Steve believes this happened. I don't uh, like to see this. Uh, I've seen too many top uh, pilots snap. Steve is the best I've known. How bad do you think he is? Frankly, outside of the presence of this well-organized hallucination, there's no sign of unbalance. May not be too serious. If he had a more plausible story, I'd be inclined to believe him. Warning. Hank. It's all right, boy. Did you hear it, Hank? You understand? Sure, sure. We've we've been quarantined. Let me give you something to make you sleep, Steve. (laughs) Don't you understand? They fixed it so that if we set off one more nuclear explosion, that'll be it. Of course. Don't roll your sleep down. You don't believe me. No, take it easy, Steve. But the test tonight, 
They're setting off the CR bomb. Hank, what time is it? 11.20. Well, it's scheduled for midnight. Hank, we've got to stop that bomb. Steve, let Donaldson give you the hypo. Hank, you've got to believe me. I saw them. I got the warning. If we touch off that bomb tonight, it'll be the biggest galactic 4th of July of all time. The whole earth will go up like a Roman candle. April 10th, 1965, the end. Now, look, Steve, you better calm down. Don't you want to see Mary and the baby? You've got a new son, remember? Yeah, that's just it, Hank. I want to see my son. I want him to live. If that bomb goes off, Hank, we've got to stop them. Mr. Hanson, I think we'd better get over to the base hospital. Hank, you've got to believe yeah, me. Sure, sure, Steve. Maybe there is something to it. Look, it's out of your hands. I'll put it in a report and shove it into Washington in the morning. In the morning? There isn't going to be any morning, Hank. Don't you understand? You've got to call Washington now. Get the head of the security commission and postpone that test. Now, you know I can't do that, Steve. My neck would be out a mile. Besides, this is 1965, not 45. Twenty countries have atomic bombs now. What's the use of stopping just this one? The rest will keep right on popping them up. Well, then we'll have to call an international conference. Can't you understand, Hank? The first one that goes off finishes us at the end. They've given us the quarantine warning. Steve, I think you'd better go with us to the base hospital. <laughs> Look, Steve. We can call up for a detail if we have to. All right, all right. I'll go with you. You don't need a straight jacket. That's the way, Steve. You'll probably feel better by morning. Let's go. Well, Steve, tomorrow I'll drive you over to the hospital to see Mary and the kid. Sure. Look at the ship under the floodlights. Pretty, huh? You'll be flying her again soon, don't you worry. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, what you doing out in the line? The, uh, refueler? Yeah, we got Clausewitz coming in tomorrow from Denver for another test. Figure we give you a day off. That's good. That's fine. Steve! Steve, come back! Come on, Donald. Come. Steve! Steve, wait! He's heading for the rockets! Look, there he goes up! That crazy fool! We can't get at him now. That covers armor glass. He's waving. Yeah, towards control. It's the radio. He needs the radio. Come on. I should have gotten help. Oh, the radio's still hooked up here. Hello. Hello, Steve. Listen to me, Hank. You gotta call Washington now. Come out of that rocket, Steve. I'll call my men. Don't try anything, Hank. They refueled the rocket for tomorrow. Take it easy, Steve. Listen, you know what'll happen when I fire the rocket tubes down here? Steve, don't. It'll burn out every building for five miles. All of us in one big flash. Steve, what do you want? They won't believe me. You make that call or I cut in the rocket. Now, I mean it, Hank. I hook my screen to yours in parallel. I want to see exactly what you're doing. All right, all right. Just don't fire those rockets. Get going, Hank. you got 12 minutes to make that call and stop that bomb. All right, I'm making the parallel hookup right now. Donaldson, you think he'll really blast? I don't know. Up to now, I'd almost say it was normal, but now he's liable to do anything, Hanson. Steve. Steve, there. You're getting it on your screen? Yeah. Now, put that call through. All right. Operator. Visit screen to Washington. This is Security Commission Priority. Break in. Get me a line. Yes, sir. Just a moment, please. Ten minutes, Hank. Listen, Steve, I'm trying. Ready to take your call, sir. Uh, Washington, Security Commission 3. This is urgent. I want Undersecretary Herbert Ames. Washington 3. One moment, please. Hurry, will you? One moment, please. What time is it, Donaldson? 11.51. Do you think he'll fire those rockets? He might. Washington? This is screen 3. Mr. Herbert Ames, please. That is a coded exchange. I cannot accept your call without clearance. Listen, Washington, put it through. This is Mr. Hansen at San Marco Air Base. This is a priority call. I'm coded. One moment, please. I will check your code number. Get that through, Hank, and that bomb goes off at 12. Will you be reasonable, Steve? Your call has cleared, San Marco. 
Washington, this is Green Three. Herbert Ames, please. Security Commission Ames. Commissioner Ames. Hello, Ames. Ames, you've got to get me to the chief. Are you kidding? Is it the test control room? Yes, I know, but get him for me. What's up? You look lousy. Or is it a bad circuit? There's no time. I've got to get him before the test. It's about the CR bomb. I can't take that responsibility. Is that true, Hank? Right plan. What's going on there? Ames, my project has a high enough rating. This was a priority A call. What? Okay, it's your Nick. I'll try to get him for you. He's in the control room, so you'll have to switch off your screen and speaker and go on earphones. Too much going on in there. Security ruling. You hear that, Steve? I've got, I've got to cut the incoming screen. All right, but don't try anything. Eight minutes, Hank. Hello? Hello? What? You got him, Hank? Yes. This, this is Hanson in San Marco. No, sir, priority A request to cancel the bomb test. No, no, I'm serious. This is deadly serious. We sent the X-2 JTR up today to the outer limit. We uncovered evidence. Yes, on the automatic instruments. What's that? No possible chain reaction. No, I, I can't tell you the whole story. There isn't time here. Yes, yes, I, I'll bring the readings into Washington in the morning. You've got to postpone the test till you see them. Look, I've worked on contracts with the commission for 10 years. Yes, yes, I have complete confidence in my information. You can record that. All right, I, I'll call you back immediately. Bye. He's agreed to cancel, Steve. The bomb won't go off. All right, boy. You can come down out of that ship. He's opening up. Here he comes. All right, Steve. Come on down. Sure, Hank. Just a second. Hank, I was scared. I was plain scared. Easy now. It's all over. The bomb won't go off. Thank God. Look, uh, I want to see Mary and the baby. Can you get me transportation now? Wait a minute. It's almost 12. They won't let you in the hospital now. I want to see the baby. Sure you do, but you've been under the strain. I've got a shot for you here, Steve. Give you a good night's sleep. All right. Roll up your sleeve. Yeah, yeah. There, that'll make you sleep. Sergeant will find you a bed. Yes, sir. Come on, Mr. Weston. Okay. Good night, Hank. I'm kind of beat. It's been a tough night. It sure has. I thought for a minute he was going to blast those rockets and send us all to kingdom come. Yeah. Quite a stunt getting the ray bomb test called off. It isn't called off. But the chief said... Ames couldn't get the chief. I was talking to a dead circuit. Bomb goes off in a couple of minutes. Oh. Poor Steve. He was one of the best. He was the best. One in ten million. Some story of this poor guy. For a while, he almost had me believing that quarantine. That's a very common delusion. End of the world. Yeah. I suppose so. Ah, it's a nice night. Never saw the stars so bright. We better be getting in. That wind is cold. Well, the bomb goes off in 30 seconds. Poor Steve. You know, Hanson, there's just one thing. Yeah? outside my field, but I'm curious. How did he keep that ship in the air for ten hours 
with only 10 minutes fuel. You have just heard another adventure in time, space, and the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension... Next week, a star of the future appearing on the program of the future, Dimension X. Next week, Miss Nancy Olson, a talented young actress whose performance in Sunset Boulevard marks her as one of Hollywood's most promising young actresses, becomes the first of a group of rising young artists of stage and screen who have been invited to make an appearance in this series. So listen then for Hello Tomorrow, starring Nancy Olson on Dimension X. Tonight, Dimension X has transcribed The Outer Limits, written by Graham Dorr and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were Wendell Holmes as Hanson, Joseph Julian as Steve, and Joe DeSantis as Donaldson. Your host was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman, engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. Stay tuned for George Burns and Gracie Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a couple who entertained audiences from the days of vaudeville to radio, the silver screen, and television for over 40 years. Of course, I'm referring to George Burns and Gracie Allen. Now, here's a story from their movie years that I found most interesting. In the early days of talking pictures, the studios eagerly hired actors who knew how to deliver dialogue or songs. The most prolific of these studios was Warner Brothers, whose Vitaphone Variety shorts captured vaudeville headliners of the 1920s on film. Burns and Allen earned a reputation as a reliable disappointment act. That would be someone who could fill in for a sick or otherwise absent performer on a moment's notice. Paramount Pictures used its East Coast studio to film New York-based stage and vaudeville stars, folks like Eddie Cantor, Fred Allen, and Ethel Merman. Well, Burns and Allen joined that roster in 1930 and made a string of one-reel comedies through 1933. And here's an interesting little bit. At RKO, Fred Astaire succeeded in his efforts to make a musical without Ginger Rogers. And the studio aboard Burns and Allen from Paramount for the 1937 film A Damsel in Distress. Their names appeared with Astaire's before the title. And under contract to RKO, the young Joan Fontaine was assigned as Astaire's romantic interest. But when she proved to be an inadequate dance partner, Astaire did most of his dancing with Burns and Allen. The trio's inspired comic dance in the film's funhouse sequence earned an Academy Award for choreography. Well, we get back to radio now with uh, the episode Gracie Hires Harpo Marx. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George? Sure. Pour me a cup, Gracie. Maxwell House is always good to the last drop. 
that's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, our postman Mel Blank, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. And as our special guest tonight, Harpo Marx. For your Thursday night enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for your everyday coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. With extra flavor in the blend, because of choice Latin American coffee, skillfully combined. Extra flavor in the cup. Because Radiant Roast develops the full flavor of every coffee bean. And the result is that today more people buy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Well, this morning, we find the Burnses in their living room, where Gracie has just finished writing one of her daily newspaper columns. There. All done. And one of the best columns I've ever written. What's today's column about? All about my wonderful idea to solve inflation. What's your idea? Well, why not establish a board to control prices and not let them get too high? (laughs) Uh, We have a board like that. It's called OPA. You mean someone stole my idea before I even got it? Yes, it got around. Yes, yes. Oh, darn. Uh, what did you say the board was called? OPA. How do you spell it? <laughs> OPA are initials. They stand for Office of Price Administration. My goodness. How did you find out all this stuff? There's a leak in Washington. <laughs> oh, what I a know Max Gordon. Dory. <laughs> I'll put this all in my column. Boy, I'd like to see Drew Pearson's face when it appears. Oh, yes. He'll be amazed. Oh, I'll say. He'll probably sit up all night and wear himself out working on the same idea. And then tomorrow morning, he'll read my column and there he'll be, pooped and scooped. (laughs) Made a double act out of him, huh? Uh, Gracie, let's stop this nonsense. You know absolutely nothing about national affairs. Oh, no. Well, you just ask me any question about national affairs and I'll snap out an answer just like that. Okay. Who's the Speaker of the House? I don't know. Next question. (laughs) What's Secretary Schwallenbach's job? Never heard of him. Keep coming, brother. That's enough. And you compare yourself to a man like Drew Pearson. Why, he knows everybody in Washington who has a job. So do I, and some Republicans, too. (laughs) You're a good mixer. Anyway, my column is different from Mr. Pearson's. He only writes political news, but I write all kinds, even Hollywood gossip. Hollywood gossip? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, listen, listen to this little tidbit from my tomorrow's column. I say, it is rumored about the Hollywood night spot that Clark Gable wears false ears. <laughs> Gable wears false ears? Now, I don't say he does. I only say that's the rumor. But where did the rumor come from? I started it. <laughs> I see you can't print stuff like that. You have to stick to the truth. Who wants to read the truth? It's too dull. Oh, fine. And I take my second item. It says, 
Is Margaret O'Brien really a 37-year-old woman? But she isn't. Do I say she is? I just ask. Murder. Uh, and here's my third item. Boris Karloff, Hollywood's leading horror man, has had his face lifted. In his next picture, he will play the part of Tom, the fun-loving rover boy. Gracie, you can be sued for libel. You just can't say Hi, things Francis. like Well, what goes on here? Oh, I'm bawling Gracie out because of all the stuff she puts in the newspaper column. Tomorrow she was going to say that Hollywood's leading horror man had his face lifted. Really? They didn't do a very good job on you, George. <laughs> uh, look, a comic. Yeah, yeah. Gracie has been printing lies in her column, and I don't like it. I've always been honest. Well, sure you have. Why, when I was a when I was a little kid, I picked Lincoln as my hero because he was called Honest Abe. I copied him. I followed him. You voted for I him. Po- <laughs> Oh, what's the use? Only kidding, George. You know, Gracie shouldn't use those phony gossip items. What she needs is a fellow to snoop around and dig up stories that actually happened. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. Would you like to take the job, Bill? Well, no, Gracie, I wouldn't have time, but I will give you a hot flash to use in your column tomorrow. A juicy bit of scandal. Yeah, what is it? Well, you can say that the handsomest young actor in Hollywood kissed a married woman while her husband just stood there with a stupid look on his face. Oh, really? When did that happen? Just now. So long. <laughs> Someday I'll punch that guy right in his dimple. Oh, don't be happy. Bill's plan will solve everything. I'll get somebody to spy on the stars and tell me what they see. But who'll you get? Oh, why don't you do it, George? A job like that would be a nice change from... From... Well... Whatever it is you do. You mean give up my pickle straw? (laughs) Me spy on people, oh no. Oh, please, dear. Nothing doing. I'd have to follow Betty Grable around. I'd have to peek into Lana Turner's window and hide under Rita Hayworth's... Say, that wouldn't be... Okay. (laughs) Come in. Good morning, all. Good morning, all. Meredith, you may be the very man I'm looking for. I need someone to collect gossip for my column. Then I'm your man, Gracie. Back in my hometown of Mason City, Iowa, I used to do a gossip program on the radio. Called it uh, Inside Mason City with Scoop Wilson. (laughs) Good thing it wasn't Don Wilson. You couldn't get Inside Mason City with Don Wilson. (laughs) Meredith, what sort of items did you do? Well, uh, I'd usually open with a shocker to get their attention. Something like, Flash, what Holstein is holding hoofs with what popular bull? That was the shocker that got their attention. Yes. Then I'd broadcast news of special interest to the Iowa farmers. The uh, progress of the fight against the corn borer. The latest news... What's a corn borer, Meredith? Well, that's just what the name implies, Gracie. A pest who loves corn and who loves to bore. They call it the corn borer. I thought they called you Scoop Wilson. Sure. <laughs> well, it's a little joke, yes. Well, I'll see you two geniuses later. This conversation upsets me. Uh, do you think I might qualify as your snooping reporter, Gracie? No, I'm afraid not, Meredith. No. I need someone who can sneak right into people's homes and spy on them. Oh. Say, I saw a thrilling spy picture called Night in Casablanca. Maybe you could hire someone from the cast. Oh, were there any exotic 
seductive spies in the picture? Oh, yes. There was one very attractive blonde spy. His name was uh, Harpo Marx. Harpo Marx? <laughs> yeah. In Night in Casablanca, all of the Marx brothers are spies. It was a thrilling picture. I was glued to my seat for two hours. Glued to your seat? Well, wasn't it embarrassing when you got up and your pants didn't? <laughs> By the ex expression, glued to my seat, I simply meant I couldn't leave. <laughs> I, uh, all of Crosby's horses couldn't have pulled me away. Well, some glue is stronger than others. <laughs> Meredith, you've given me a wonderful idea. I have? I'll go over to the Marx Brothers' house and hire one of them as my snooping reporter. Which one will you get, Gracie? Well, either Groucho or Chico. Harpo doesn't talk. That's right. He's the dumb one. All he does is chase beautiful women. Yeah. Well, he's not so dumb. <laughs> See you later, Meredith. <laughs> I hope the Marx Brothers are home. Oh, it's Harpo. Oh, how, how do you do, Harpo? I'm Mrs. George Burns. Oh, thank you. You think I'm pretty, huh? My uh, figure does things to you. Uh, you just can't take your eyes off my face. I'm young and alluring and irresistible siren. Um, I fascinate you. Oh, you little devil, what a line you've got. <laughs> um, tell me, um, where are your brothers, Groucho and Chico? Oh, oh, I see playing cards. What are they playing, poker? Uh, bridge? No. Well, what are they playing? Oh. Oh, Jim. <laughs> you know, I can understand you just fine. How would you like to be my snooping reporter and go around and spy on people? Oh, wonderful. Now you can come to my house and shoot me. Are you serious, Gracie? You hired half or marks as your snooping reporter? Well, sure. What good is he? He doesn't talk. But he honks. So does a goose, and, and that you can eat. <laughs> you better get rid of him. Well, I, I've got him out working on all kinds of scoops right now. For instance, wouldn't it be wonderful if he could uh, get the inside story of how Mickey Rooney kisses his wife goodbye? Huh? Well, maybe he can find out the name of the fellow who boosts him up. <laughs> uh, I see what you mean. Oh, there's Harpo. What do you bet he's got a wonderful scoop? Come in. Hello, Harpo. Oh, I'd like you to meet my husband, George. And beep beep to you. Uh, did you uh, bring me the scoop, Harpo? Good, let's have it. Oh, no, not a cold scoop. Smart as a whip, this kid. Harpo, let me explain to you what a scoop is. For instance, if you knew a story about one of Hollywood's great lovers that no one else knew, that would be a scoop. Oh, you mean you've got such a story? Oh, wonderful. Who's the great lover? Clark Gable? No, huh? Errol Flynn? Not him either. <laughs> 
Jerome Power? Well, who is it then? Oh, no. <laughs> Spring is here. Now, George, this might be a very interesting story. Tell me about it, Harpo. I suppose there's a girl involved. Oh, well, I don't know if that's three plain ones or one knockout. Oh, one knockout. Then you uh, have a rival, I suppose. Oh, I thought so. What sort of a fella is he? He doesn't like a villain. No, he sounds like a cat. Now, when did all this take place, Harpo? Oh, yeah, I see. Saturday night. <laughs> now, exactly what happened on Saturday night? Oh, you called on your girl. Uh, were her mother and father home? Oh, just a mother. <laughs> this is the greatest story since Lost Weekend. Well, what happened next, Harpo? Did you take your girl over to the sofa? Uh-huh. And then what? Oh, I see. Well, how do you feel when you kiss your girl, Harpo? See, Harpo, it's too bad that you can't serenade the girls like Frankie Boy does. Ooh, that's right. You have your harp. Oh, show us how you woo the girls with that.
was wonderful, but I still need a scoop for my column. Something exciting like a robbery. Find out who held up Hedy Lamar and Dorothy Lamar. And find out who held up W.C. Field. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was held up. You don't think he can stand alone, do you? <laughs> oh, George, this is a serious assignment. Now, get going, Harpo. Uh, get me a big scoop on a robbery. Hey, see, that guy's a complete jerk. He is not. He's a brilliant man, and he has a brilliant future. Brilliant future? Yes. He can't talk. I know. Wouldn't he make a wonderful congressman? Look, <laughs> we uh, want a reporter. Get rid of Harpo and get yourself someone intelligent. Come in. Good afternoon, Mrs. Burns. And Mr. Burns. Oh, hello, Mr. Postman. Hello, Mr. Postman. Did I interrupt the family tete-a-tete? <laughs> I was just telling my wife she ought to get a new helper. The one she's got is a complete jerk. But she loves you, Mr. Burns. <laughs> oh, Mr. Postman, the helper George referred to is that famous fellow who's always chasing girls. He wears a blonde curly wig. Oh, Bill Goodwin. <laughs> yeah, that's close enough. If you two will excuse me, I'll see you later. Well, you still... Still didn't guess who my helper is, Mr. Postman. It's Harpo Marx. He's my snooping reporter. Oh, I see. How would you like to help him snoop? As a postman, you visit all the celebrities' homes. I'm sorry, Mrs. Burns, but postal regulations forbid a letter carrier to use his position or equipment for personal gain. <laughs> I can't even blow my postman's whistle at a girl. Oh, really? <laughs> That's right. I did it once and got 17 years at hard labor. Oh, just for blowing your whistle at a girl? Yes. I later married her. <laughs> well, I guess you can't help me then. No, but here comes Mr. Goodwin. Perhaps he can suggest someone. Yeah, I'll ask him. Hello, Bill. Hi, Gracie. Good afternoon, Mr. Goodwin. Good afternoon, Mr. Postman. <laughs> Bill, I hired Harpo Marks as my snooping reporter. But George doesn't think he's so good. Really? Well, why'd you hire Harpo? Well, he's a spy in the Marx Brothers' new picture, Night in Casablanca. Oh, well, yes, I saw the picture last night, Gracie. What a love scene with Carol Davis. Wow. Oh, no, Bill. The girl in the picture was Lois Collier. Well, yeah, but I was in the balcony with Carol Davis. <laughs> oh, Mr. Goodwin. Friend, Mr. I envy you your gay romantic life. You do? I do. <laughs> Always a different girl. Once you marry one, the glamour is gone. Really, Mr. Postman? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> what a mess at night. Wrinkle cream, foundation cream, chin strap, curlers. Oh, but Bill wouldn't give that up just because he got married. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know I employ no such devices to enhance my charm. All I use is a few drops of a tantalizing scent that women can't resist. Oh, so that's the secret of your appeal. Well, yes. Behind each ear, I put a wee drop of Maxwell House coffee. <laughs> Maxwell House coffee? Well, Mr. Postman, can you think of anything that has a more delightful fragrance, a more inviting aroma? Maxwell House is appetizing, rich, full-bodied, and mellow coffee at its full-flavored best. Good to the last drop. Well, we finally found out what happens to that last drop. 
<laughs> Bill puts it behind his ear. Why don't you try it, Mr. Sportsman? Maxwell House has a universal appeal. As a matter of fact, more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Really? Yes, of course. I'll bet if you try my little trick, Mr. Forsman, your wife will grab you in her arms and kiss you. What a horrible thought. <laughs> oh, Mr. Postman, if your wife is like you say, how did she ever get you to propose to her? Oh, she turned my head. Oh, flattery, huh? No, she just took my head in her hands and turned it. To <laughs> oh, goodbye, folks. Remember, keep smiling. <laughs> Oh, good, there's Harpo with my scoop. Come in. Hello, Harpo. The sunset bus is back. <laughs> well, Harpo, did you get a story about a robbery? <whistles> Wonderful. Harpo, I want to apologize. Let me shake your hand. Uh, what did the robber steal? Uh, <laughs> wait a minute. The piece of silverware just fell out of a sleeve. He must be the robber. Oh, no, not Harpo. He probably just had lunch at the Brown Derby and picked up a souvenir. <laughs> he had breakfast and dinner there, too. <laughs> a fine man, you hired Grace. He's nothing but a crook. A no good Oh, feeling... now, don't get so excited, George. Calm down. I'll go in the kitchen to get you a glass of water. Harpo Marks. Shame on you. Breaking the law for three lousy knives. <laughs> Five lousy knives. <laughs> For six lousy.
next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Oh, goody, goody, jello pudding tonight. It tastes like grandma's only more smooth. You ain't kidding, that's right. And, and just the jello thinks delicious, locked in flavors can't be beaten. All the proof of jello puddings in the evening. The jello twins are hard to find, but keep on looking in your store. When sugar shortages are over, there'll be more. Just the taste of jello pudding or a jello and you know. It's the one and only J E L L O. Join us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Tracy Allen, Meredith Wilson's Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin. Stay tuned to this station because Bird's Eye Open House, starring Dennis Shaw, is coming on in just a second. Dennis' special guest tonight is Peter Lorre. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Dragnet, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.